0: His name on the
3: Stonehaven Cup leashed into 11 under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is Adam Scott, a life changer.
2: Coming up
0: next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 65. And by now, you can already tell that you've been deprived of your Andy Mar time. Some will be delighted with that. Sorry, Andy. But some will be um, also very devastated, I believe, not to have his, the great man's tones. But nonetheless, I'm Mark Hayes and we're going to be joined this uh, hour or so. By two of the two, well, one of golf luminaries and also Justin Falconer. Welcome, Justin. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. That's yeah, that's really kind. No, well, we're just glad
2: to see you and your hair back in one piece from Singapore, mate. How was that? Uh, it was good. Yeah, no, it was a good week. Uh, disappointing on the course, but no, we all had a good time, and yeah, it's good.
0: And. This show barely ticks when Joe Charlton isn't in the building, and we're really thrilled to have you back, Joe.
4: Thanks, Hazy, and I'm going to call you the hostess with the mostess. And in line with it, it's trade time at the moment, so we've traded out the vet and we've brought in the, uh, the young young fella to my left here, Justin Falconer. Good to have you.
0: Thanks, oh, you guys. This is it's just a love fest in here. And Speaking of love festivals, <laughs> I want to I want to put on the table that I'm recording this today totally drunk. I totally I'm off my chest, loaded. <laughs> And the reason is I oh, might have been playing a drinking game on Saturday and Sunday watching the British Masters. And I had to scull a pot every time that they said Mollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me you're out on Mollywood already. Oh my God. Can you, it's two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the Ryder Cup. And I know it's going to last for a while. But if I hear Mollywood one more time from the European tour commentary crew. <gasps> Seriously, I'm not drunk. Just for the record, I'm not drunk. But if i been doing drinking games, yeah, not <laughs> this week, correct. If I'd been doing drinking games based on, you know, talking about Mollywood, you'd you would have been you wouldn't have seen Lucas Herbert past the
2: 6th hole. You'd have been hammered. Another another one of Australian golf's great journos, Rod Murray is he's, he's in your boat I saw last night he's he's all fully out on Mollywood and I couldn't believe it. And then I walk in here this morning and I hear it from you. So I didn't know Rod had done that. but He's a very learned man. <sighs> just have a bit of fun. It's When's the next Ryder Cup? Two years no, away? It's only I like two more years here Mollywood. I like
0: the concept of Mollywood. I just don't like that every time uh, <laughs> Francesco Molinari steps to the tee, he goes, this is one half of the winning Mollywood combination. <laughs> is of the, the Molly part. The, uh, this is the, yeah, the <laughs> Molly part. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, no more. Joe, if you mention Mollywood, okay. we're in. Deal. <laughs> All right. Which you know, the reason we we're watching, uh, you know, or I was watching so much of the European Tour is I've been captivated by it lately. Uh, generally speaking, but specifically, uh, Lucas Herbert. Uh, we've we've mentioned him several times on the podcast the last few weeks, and he's been a guest several times this year. Friend of the show, an official, friend. unofficial mm. friend of the show. Yeah, you've given him that status. Yeah, he can that have doesn't it. Doesn't
2: come cheaply. No, you're absolutely right.
0: <laughs> um, a, a phenomenal achievement. He's finished third at the British Masters. At Walton Heath, one of the most revered uh, Lynx layouts in southern England. Um, Joe, I'm not sure if you're aware, but he actually had to make a birdie to make the cut on the 36th hole on the Friday afternoon just to make the weekend action.
4: He did, and then he really hung in there, really gritted his teeth on that last day and looked like a beautiful British summer's day out there to really chase up, <laughs> chase up the, the leaderboard. But what I love about Herbert is that he's just laid it out on the table. He's been so transparent from from the get go this year and saying this is what this is what I want. And hey, he's he's on track to doing it. It's been it's it's wonderful to watch.
0: Can you believe what he's done, Justin? Yeah, oh, it's crazy. Go through some I'm sure you've got him at hand there. What where he is in, in the rankings department in a couple of couple of different senses. Um not only the uh the world rankings, but also now in the race to Dubai. I mean, we were sitting there wondering for the longest time about whether he could keep his card
2: and in the last month or so he's he's just Flown that coupe completely. He's into thirty eighth on the race to Dubai, so the top sixty gets you to the season ending tour championship. So that would almost be a lock mm. now. He's into seventy eighth in the world ranking. So we've seen in the last few months, he and Cam Davis over in the US have both bolted into the top one hundred. But some of Luke's numbers are crazy. I was, I was looking at, I was looking at, my eyes were watering looking at how much money he earned in the last month. <laughs> He's. In the last three or four weeks he's played, the last four events he's gone uh, T3, T7, T2, going backwards. He's made $771,000 in the last three events, and he's fully deserved it. He's played unbelievably. And, yeah, as we said, he's a lock now for the season where the big bucks will go, the last event of the year, and he's got his tour card, which only a month ago was sort of – he was around 110th and flirting with not being able to get status next year in Europe, and now he's just – Vaulted past.
4: Because he started just with his Australian tour. Not I shouldn't say just his Australian tour card, but that was a reality. That's that's where he was at the start of the year. And now, tick, he's got his European card. And if you could put another tick, he's ranked sixth on the current President's Cups ranking. So, I mean, he's still got a long way to go. That's until August next year. But, hey... Like that's it's,
0: that's quite unbelievable. Be, that's a big one that blows my mind, Joe. Mm. Oh. I'm really yeah. grateful you put it on the table. He came in here, the first visit he made to us this year on Inside the Ropes, and said, oh, "You know, it's not out of the realms of possibility that I could play Presidents Cup." And we all thought, "That's outstanding that he's got that vision." But I know there were quite a few people I uh, experienced their sentiment about it, who said, "He's kidding, isn't he? Mm. He's kidding." Well, right now he's in front of. Every South African and every Korean player you can think of in the
2: world, he's in front of them in the President's Cup rankings. Think about that. That's unbelievable. He got to Fiji halfway through the year, and he just had a really good run. He'd been overseas for 100 days, and he got paired with Ernie Els for the first two rounds, along with another Victorian, Dave Michelousie. And we spoke to him on the first day, and he said, this is what he said, so this was in the start of August. I think I'd look pretty silly right now if I said I thought I was a firm favourite to make the President's Cup team (laughs) I listened to a podcast that Ernie was on three or four weeks ago, and he spoke about the chance of if there was a local player that was playing really well and knew Royal Melbourne really well, he'd consider picking him. I was sitting there thinking, well, I grew up around that Sandbelt area. I know Royal Melbourne like the back of my hand. I think if I put the results, you know, the next twelve months, there's no reason why I can't be a good look in for that team. Mm-hmm. And then this—that's that's August, so three months later, effectively, mm-hmm. as you said, he's sixth on standings, and he'll had- be on speed dial with Ernie Els sometime in the next twelve months. <laughs> yeah. Um So
0: we're going to continue this as we go along, obviously. Um This is definitely part of the hashtag golden era, and Andy will be pleased that I brought that up so early in the show. Matt Hillier, who we quoted a statistic from last week, I'm going to update it. He's gone again on Twitter, which I love. Go in for the gold, Matt. That's fantastic. After this week's uh, result in Europe, Lucas Herbert has averaged 2.92 world ranking points in his past 24 events. Remember what we said last week? If he kept maintained this average, he would be in X spot. Mm. Keep this average up for his next sixteen events, as opposed to the seventeen last week. He will be thirty eighth in the world. <laughs> oh, this is pie in the sky stuff. Getting to thirty eight in the world. Well, maybe it's not because you know he was seven hundredth this time last year mm-hmm. before the New South Wales Open. Herbie, we're we're chuffed for you, mate. Um, outstanding. Um, we'll keep trying to regurgitate these crazy stats, and I don't know. It's hard to not be excited by that, mm-hmm. Joe, isn't it? To see yeah. to see someone come through the ranks and and really progress out well. A Golf Australia rookie squad member. Um, we're going to chat later on. We should have mentioned this a little bit earlier. We're going to chat later on to Harrison Endicott, who's another one who falls into that category. And also, we're going to have a huge chat to Jan Stevenson. So, we're going to go from, you know, the young guys emerging to the a newly elected World Golf Hall of Fame member in the show today. It's a pretty special time for Australian golf.
4: Yeah. Well, yeah. No, there's no hashtag golden ear. All those, those, those players, the, the luck, the um, Cam Davis and, and Endicott, who we will speak to um, in the next hour or so. Uh, on the girl side, Minji Lee, she's second on the CME race to, um, oh, sorry, the race to the CME globe. Um, probably will poll second. That's sort of what the prediction, um, area Jatatagan will probably take that out. But
2: can you say that again?
4: Did I say that all right? I don't Was know. It? Let's, area So I said it really fast. So she's looking like she'll take that out. But Minji, uh, I think she's had 11 top tens. Yeah. Um, this year, she's so. had 12
2: top tens from 23 starts. Go. So, more than half the time she's teeing it up, she's, she's had nine top fives. Well, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, we spoke at length
0: last week about the international crown from Korea. They stayed there and played the Hanna Bank Championship. Um, those crowds. It was uh, awesome, wasn't it? It was mm. truly mm, awesome. Cool. I mean, we've talked about it before without sort of much, um, I guess, visual evidence, but they're lunatics.
2: Yeah, they said during the broadcast at one stage that they get up to 500% the viewership for the women's events right. in Korea than they do. I think they even said something like 900% sometimes. It's just some like outrageous figure that they get for the viewership in the for women's golf in Korea. It's crazy.
0: That, I reckon when they... Was it me, Hyung, I forget who it was. Chipped in for an eagle on the side of the 18th, maybe in the third round. I reckon I felt the tremor in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that demilitarised zone is going to be in a world of trouble one day. Someone's going to hit a button because they thought something happened. <laughs> That's extraordinary. And, and Inji Chuan, great for the local fans to see her um, do so well. And um,
4: She hadn't won in a couple of years, so yeah. I think it was a pretty emotional victory for her. And it might be a question for, for Jan to see what she thinks, um, the state of play is in, in the women's game from, from her era. It's certainly, um, it's taken off from that, that Asian swing.
2: And just on the Saturday afternoon, that like the state of the game... It was, there was, the leaderboard on Saturday it was awesome. It was Minji, Charlie Hull, mm-hmm. uh, Uriah Jatanyagun, Lydia Ko was up there, Danielle Kang. Like, the top 10 on the leaderboard was just, it Minj. was just guns. Mm-hmm. It was awesome.
0: Are you surprised to see so few of the big name in
2: inverted commas
0: Americans not in that list?
2: I'd say no. Not surprised, only because the rest of the world's got them covered at the moment. There mm. isn't really a dominant American female player, is there? Lexi sort of. Hung around the last few years, but she's gone off the boil a bit. Um, Jessica has sort of been there and thereabouts, Michelle Wee. But they're but, not the dominant no, players they they no, yeah, there's no. thought no they might be. there's no Dustin Johnson equivalent sort of rolling around. Well, we may have buried the lead. I'm just going to move away from,
0: from career and the women's game. We may have buried the lead, but we just got carried away with the hashtag <laughs> golden era of which Minji and... Uh, I will just say one thing. Herbie we fits into
2: Herbie is... He's been... Just exploded onto the scene this year. Twenty-two years old. Minji Lee's also twenty-two years <laughs> old. The same year. And we think of yeah. Minji as an established, just like ten-year veteran. But she's she's so young, and she's second on the CME uh, Globe rankings with I think five events left, and she's chasing down her ear. So
0: hopefully she gets there. It's uh, awesome, uh, and, and she's only four or five weeks away from um, that tour championship that will give her a chance to get past your girl, Joe. Um, I won't make you say sad. <laughs> <time. laughs> your girl. But uh yeah, no, fantastic. Moving a little bit down and we probably buried the lead, but you know, we got carried away, as I said, with the hashtag Golden Era, but uh can we include Mark Leishman in the Golden Era or is he a different generation? Fringe.
2: No, I reckon we'll, we'll take him. Well we should probably put it we should probably put it to Mari. He's ultimately he's the he's the czar of Golden Era, isn't he? Yeah, he's a Czar. I'm a bit deflated
0: by that sort of you know, that he owned it. Sort of jointly with me, but if you think he's bizarre, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not too sort of flustered, Justin. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, but let's let's get Fed um Mark Leishman on the second week of the new wraparound US PGA Tour season. Salutes at uh, the Time honoured TPC Kuala Lumpur, Joe. Um, <laughs> um, fantastic result. Um, great to see him back in the in the winners' circle. Four wins now on the US PGA Tour. He's won at every stage of his career. He's won, you know from the Victorian PGA through to Korea, on the web. I think it might have been nationwide at the time and then up on the big show now. There's only one thing left for him,
2: surely, from here on.
4: A major? Is that what you're referring to? I'm
0: glad that you picked that up.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> we probably glossed over it at the top of the show because he just wins so effortlessly. oh.
4: No, I I, I think so. You, as much as Herbert's like he's got that flair, I love Leishman because yeah. he's like the Big Easy yeah, just out there. He's just, just like I'm just going to go oh, try my best, seven under in the final I'm round, going to get the job done. Like he's sure. just he's just so graceful to watch.
0: So you've got the rest of the show to come up with a new nickname for him because I don't think Big Easy Two is going to cut the mustard. <laughs>
2: Bigger Easy, Bigger.
0: <laughs> not as Big Easy, not as Big Easy. No, come on, you you got you've got I don't know how long we've got to go, Jay, but okay. maybe an hour to figure that out. Okay. Um. But that's a really good um, observation because he's, he looks to be in Mm. third or fourth gear when, when everyone else is trying their guts out. I I was captivated by his choice of clubs on the back nine when he had it under control Mm. in the final round the other day. Could have easily gone for the big dog and just let it run because he was, he was, you know, hitting it reasonably well, obviously. But just took the three iron and just clubbed him to death, just Mm. methodically. And his wedge play was so sharp. all week. I mean, 26 under, come on, it has to be perfect. Hmm. But, uh, you know, when he's got his wedges and his putter on, he is a legitimate force. We can joke about uh, and be biased and everything, but his best is now, you know, elite.
2: They, uh, he started on Sunday with, from, he made par on the first and then rolled off four straight birdies. So there was a bunch of players chasing him, Gary Woodland, uh, Shabank Sharma from India was up there. And, yeah, just rattled off four straight, but made another one on nine. So he made the turn about four ahead. I think it got to five at one stage, dropped back. But yeah, as he's so effort, he just looked like he didn't look like he was going to lose, and that's kind of how mm-hmm. he plays. Mm-hmm. You ne- at no point did you like get nervous or just thought that he was just going to roll home, and he did. In his last two years, he's missed six cuts on the pe- worldwide. Sorry, in the last two years, two years. three oh, yeah. this year and three the year before.
0: Uh, question without notice, I mean, you can't possibly know how how that compares to everyone in the world, but that has to be sort of yeah, right well, at yeah, the top he, of that I list. I was
2: looking back through his results and I sort of just, there was just no missed cuts. It's amazing. He's won three times in the PGA Tour in the last two seasons, yeah. and he's only missed six cuts around the world, which seems extraordinary. Yeah, hats off. Now, b- before
0: we leave him, it, it begs the question about our World Cup coming up. Um, you know, he's moved up to number 16 in the world. Cameron Smith continues to shine. Actually, before we get to the World Cup, fascinating to me. I mentioned his wedges and his and his putter was hot, obviously in Malaysia. Um, he's been spending a lot of time with Cameron Smith uh, on and off the course, um, which is fantastic not only for the World Cup, but I Cam Smith, as we've documented here several times, has got one of the great sharp uh, wedge games. Like he's mm-hmm. mint. Um, he says he's learning with playing with cam trying to keep up in the social games <laughs> that they play in the u.s same manager they obviously see a fair bit of each other um that's awesome to mm. me I, I you know we we might ask um harrison indikot later on about how the influence of of the other australian players who are coming through but it's really good to see um an older guy being on the fringe of the golden era um take mm. lessons from a younger bloke coming through who is right in the middle of the golden era. i think that's pretty amazing
4: yeah, I think they're definitely, I think I mentioned it a few times a couple of weeks ago when I was on that, from that team chemistry point of view, they're already ticking that box on, on multiple fronts and looking like they're having a great time together. Mm. And then yeah, that learning comparison as well. Um, I reckon they're going to be a, a pretty hard team to beat. I know that Cam won the Aussie Amateur, I forget what year, but out at Commonwealth. So he's been there and done that on the sandbelt. belt. Uh, Leash, obviously, growing up in and around with the VIS, um, being a Victorian so, yeah, I think they're going to be a really hard team to beat on multiple levels.
0: Do you yeah. agree with that? Do you do you see them as the team to beat? At the World Cup? At the World Cup at Metro on the, uh, where is it, 21st to the 25th
2: of November? I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I was looking at the draw, the, other, the teams the other day. I think the English team now following mm. the Ryder Cup, Ian Poulter and Daryl Hatton, uh, that could be interesting um, for sure. But, yeah, they you'd have to say the way that Cam and uh, Leisha... Sort of gelling together. The really cool the photo that Cam Smith took as he walked off the 18th green. Cam took a big selfie and it was floating around social media. So it was cool. It looks like they really enjoy each other's company. And yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited by that. I just, mm-hmm. I just think that's a, a,
0: a tremendous way to go. Uh, now, as I said earlier on, we and we're going to try and. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this show today, Joe, because uh, we're going to get the chance to chat with Jan Stevenson, who for a generation of fans was the icon of women's golf. But in a lot of senses, she has, uh, you know, been a bit of a mystery to several people. Uh, so, you know, a generation in the last little while. We're going to chat to her in a couple of minutes after the break here coming up. But what are you going to ask? Are you going to are you going to go down the controversial paths, or are you just going to sort of, you know, bowl up the Dorothy Dixes with her? I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> interested.
4: No, I'm just I am interested to having you know I'm a late 80s baby, but I'd didn't really sort of get drawn to the game until the 90s so i have only seen sort of the modern era of of women's sport but i'm interested to know in her in her view how that sort of transformed i know that she's obviously in a, at a Victorian level, played in Vic Opens growing back when um, my grandfather was involved and he spoke very, very fondly of, of her. Um, so I'm really interested to hear from those exhibition matches that were held out in the sand belt to how it's transformed all around the world where we talked about Korea earlier and over in, in the States um, and even, even here in our own backyard with the Aussie Open. Really interested to hear her, her viewpoint on that.
0: We don't often have World Golf Hall of Famers on our little modest little show. Mm -hmm. So when we come back after the break, Jan Stevenson and later on in the show, Harrison Endicott, stay tuned. We've got plenty more to come.
4: Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National
0: Junior Program.
4: One of my favorite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, my name's Bob Shearer, the
2: 1982
1: Australian Open champ. When you're listening on the radio, listen to the ropes for all the news and scoops coming up.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and we are beyond excited today, guys, to have um, one of only now seven Australians ever to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame, and I pumped her up before the break. I'm really excited now. Welcome, Jan Stevenson. We're thrilled to have you along.
5: Thank you. I'm absolutely thrilled to be part of it as well.
0: What does that sound to you when when I describe you when I introduce you as a World Golf Hall of Fame member? That must send a little chill up your spine.
5: It really does, you know. Today we're warming up for playing our senior championship, and Julie Inkster came up to me and goes, "Hey, fellow Hall of Famer!" and it's like, <laughs> "Wow," you know. I, and, and I mean, I, I said it on the Golf Channel the other day. It's like I keep waking up in the middle of the night going why am I so happy? And so <laughs> I go, oh, my God, I realize now why. And, you know, I, I, it's almost like I, I knew that I, it was going to be a struggle to get in because, you know, I've always been so outspoken and, and, you know, and I did things that a lot of women felt like it was taking them back in time when I did it. But um, so I feel, like, I, I feel like one of these days, Nancy Lopez kept saying, you know, one of these days you will get in because you've done too much and you've worked too hard for the game of golf and for women, and not to mention your credentials. But it's still, when they say that, it's like, yeah, when I'm dead, you know. And <laughs> so I actually was quite shocked to, to get it. And, you know, I look back now, and and it's, it, it's almost like my mom used to say all the time, you know, everything is meant for a reason. And I'm like, why do they keep overlooking me or putting me in the final 10 and then ignoring you know a lot of the stuff i've done and then but now it's it's actually getting to be you know to be at pebble beach which is i feel like it's closer to australia than it would have been on the east coast of america and and it's you know to be at the men's u.s open and it, there's so many reasons now that i'm actually glad that i can't believe i'm saying this that, I, that it took so long to
0: get in mm-hmm. we we spoke to david graham uh, last year and we spoke to him about this too i mean similar boat to you. I mean, if your resume carries you, you know, you should have got you over the line a long time ago, which is what you're implying there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really an emotional time for him uh, to finally get that recognition. Did you have that sort of welling up of emotion? Oh
5: my gosh. You know, and I, and I was, and if you know Nancy loves at all, like we always tease about it because she cries when she's happy. She cries when she's sad. <laughs> she just cries a lot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I've never cried when I was happy. I've always been really happy when I'm happy, you know, when I win. But I was bawling when she told me. I could, and everyone I told, you know, I actually had to go to a business meeting and they said, look, nobody must know because it's going to be announced tomorrow on the Golf Channel. And so I couldn't even tell. I was getting ready to go to a meeting with my business manager and my and my assistant with this with this you know, I own a golf course from my foundation, and and we had this big meeting, and I'm sitting there with this big smile on my face, and it was serious about getting my rezoning, and like, what's wrong with you, you know, (laughs) and so I actually had to step out of the room and say, I need to talk to you both, and they went, oh, what have I done wrong, you know, and they were like, and I said, we need to see if we can get some Airbnbs at, at Pebble Beach next summer, and they went, well, why did you pull us out of the meeting for that? And I said, I can't say anything, and my manager knew exactly what that meant. And so he started crying, and then she goes, why are you crying? So we were all crying in the middle of this meeting, and it was just so great. But when Nancy told me, I mean, it was kind of a it was a tricky thing because Nancy Lopez is on the final four of the committee. So it's Annika Sornstam and Nancy and Jack Nichols. who used to be Arnold Palmer, but since he died, Jack... Uh, um, Gary Player took his place. So they're the final four. So they have to notify, when it gets down to the t- final 10 or 12, which it was, they have to notify everybody whether they've made it or not. And it's all on speaker. So when Nancy called me, I had been on the final 12 twice before. Mm-hmm. And when she starts the conversation, she always started it. Now, Jan, I know you've worked so hard <laughs> for the tour and... and but you didn't make it this time. So she started the conversation exactly the same way. I saw her name came up on my phone, and I picked it up. I'm like, here we go, right? And she started, and I started crying because that man, I didn't make it. But then I heard at the last minute because I was crying so hard, that she said, but this time they finally recognize you and you're in. And I'm like, what did you say? I was bawling so much. I didn't hear it. I'm like, stop. That again. I heard Jack Nicholson, Gary Player laughing in the background. I'm like, they wouldn't be laughing if this wasn't for real. And I'm like, oh, my God, no way. And Nancy was crying so bad when she called, but I was like, well, she and
4: stuff that
3: anyway.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was really quite incredible.
0: That's
3: phenomenal. Now, this
4: is obviously the ultimate for you, Jan, and, um, and rightly deserved. But could you pick out a sort of a playing highlight over the many years that you played out on tour?
5: Well, there's no question winning the U.S. majors is a is a big step in, you know, getting to be known as a world-class player. But, you know, I even said in my interview, one of my most favorite memories was when I won the Australian Open with my mom, Caddy, hmm. and that was very unusual. But the U.S. Open, which was probably the last of my U.S. majors, was something that even though... You know, most people aspire to the National Open. I'd already won it a couple of times, and they never seem to recognise that in the in the world in the Golf Hall of Fame. So when I won the US Open, I can remember when I when my dad worked for the transport department in in Sydney. He asked for for as he kept moving his way up, he kept asking for night shift, which they didn't understand. If he was a foreman. But he's like, oh, I want to have night shifts so I can take my daughter to play golf. So I, I talk about all the time in a lot of the speeches I do is that I was about 13 or 14 and I lived at Birch Grove. I lived in Balmain. And sometimes I would take, like, you know, the bus to school. But most of the time my dad would take me to practice at Moore Park before I went to the golf course. So one day it was just miserably cold, like kind of like it is right here now. <laughs> and yeah, I And I just went, you know, I just, can, I hate playing, I hate cold weather and it was the middle of winter and my dad came in and my mom said she's not getting up to go practice, she just wants to take the bus or the ferry to school and she's going to skip practice today and my father came in with a hot water bottle, which you too young to know what that meat is, but you know, <laughs> cause we, of course we don't have air conditioning anything in Australia, so um, in Sydney, so he put it under my feet and he went, you know, if you get up now, that's shows a dedication to do something you don't want to do and you might win a US Open and I was like oh dad you really have to put that on me you know <laughs> so I, I actually consequently got up and practiced in the rain and I hated it but when I won the Open my parents were there and they were crying and they said you probably don't even remember this I said don't even talk to me about that I'll never forget that day because I did not want to practice but I won the US Open so
0: it was worth it. Well, we, we should just go back and, and t- tick off a few of your your playing milestones Um Around the world, uh, just to, for people, because there is a generation now, Jan, that we uh, that, that doesn't know what you've done, and, and which I guess is sort of a um, you know that's the natural the process of time, isn't it? But just for mm-hmm. those for those who are, are unaware, Jan Stevenson is a three time major championship winner. I I don't think it was called the DeMaurier Classic when you won it, maybe, but the Demoree.
5: Yeah, which was the Canadian Open. It was called the Peter Jackson. Yeah, which was the same company as the tobacco company, which got they weren't allowed to sponsor tournaments anymore. But it was the Canadian Open, which now they moved to the British. But at those days, that was our third
0: major. Yeah, the Women's PGA Championship. So that was in 1981. The Women's PGA Championship in 1982, and the big one uh, in many people's eyes, the U.S. Women's Open in 1983. But Jan, that's sort of just you know a part of it because you were a truly global player, weren't you? 26 wins as a professional around the world and Japan, obviously Australia um, and, and other places as well. You mentioned Canada. It must be heartening. In yeah,
5: Europe, I won uh, the French Open. In I won the French Open and the Moroccan Open on the European tour. But <laughs> they uh, they recognize now. But I was kind of ahead of my time, so they didn't recognize them on the world rankings or the world points. And so I was kind of ahead of that being recognized. And I think they've come back now and going, "Wait a minute, that's kind of not fair." <laughs> but um, Oh, yeah I've won actually quite a few majors over the years so you know I won our first uh, Australian LPGA championship in Adelaide in uh, 1973 so um you know there's things that happen that obviously there's very few people still alive that remember it but um <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah my career <laughs> actually spanned quite a bit of time
0: so that can you can you talk us through that because the Australian Open the women's Australian Open records um date to 1974 but the 73 one was that considered the national championship at the time
5: it was but now they don't recognize it which i really can't understand that was because the australian lpga tours that so was called the alpg started in
3: 1973
5: yeah and uh, i didn't join it till i actually went to japan and played the world ladies in 1983 and um as a professional if so i turned pro so i could go over and get the appearance money and then i I'd met everyone, you know, that's where Joanne Connor and Judy Rankin and Donna Catoni were played, and I finished in the top 10, and uh, I think I finished maybe even third, and I went, wow, and they kept saying, you need to come to America, you can make it, mm. you know, and, and then, um, so at the end, I joined the Australian LPGA in August when I came back, and won five of the 10 tournaments, including the Australian LPGA Championship in Adelaide, and then uh, in Melbourne, it was considered the US Open, but the Australian Open, but they, they don't recognize it until 74, which was kind of surprising. But at those days, at those times, it was a major. Um, so they didn't count that. But um, I guess I have the trophy to show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was. So that, that, when you won that in 73, in am I right in saying you shot a 64 on the last day and there were people around you from the United States who said, what are you doing here? You need to be over with us.
5: Yes, exactly. I uh, I played, I was paired with uh, Renee Powell, who was, um, has gone on to do a lot of wonderful things for black people because she was um, African-American, and uh, Carol Jo Scala, who was another guru tourer, and she goes, what are you doing here? You're wasting your time. You need to be, you can play against us because I had, I ran away with the tournament, obviously, with shooting 64. So um, I packed my bags and came here and came to America into January for the tour, For the and I, I made rookie of the year, but... It was quite a different, I was so homesick, I hated America at the time. (laughs) Um, I kept calling my parents and going, this is a very strange place. Because, you know, the college school was actually Miami. And, you know, if you know anything about American football, the Miami Dolphins were in in the Super Bowl. And so it was the first time that the Dolphins were going to actually be in their hometown for the Super Bowl, which is very rare. And I kept saying to my parents, oh, they're, they're like idolizing this this team called the Dolphins, and it's, like, ridiculous. Well, I didn't know it was such a big deal. And uh, and I was staying at Doral, which actually Bruce Devlin had fixed me up with, Which because he said, you need to be in a safe place. It's by the airport, and you don't need a car, and it's got 36 holes. But they didn't tell me how expensive it was. And, and of course, I was calling home, like, every day saying, I'm so homesick, I'm not sure if I can make it to the qualifying school. And I and then right and you know they you have to prove the LPGA that you have I think back there it was like four thousand dollars in cash to make it through the tour, and mm-hmm. I had all that money I'd made in the last five events, the last ten events on the tour in Australia. I thought, oh, that'll be plenty of money. But but what happened was, Dural, because I'd been there because they said you need to get a you they know, said you need to get used to the time change, so you need to come a week early. And so I was practicing and playing there and then they the hotel called me like three days before the qualifying school and said, You need to come settle your bill and I'm like, Well, I'm gonna be here another week and they said, Well, it's getting over the limit and I'm like, Oh dear So I remember going down to the front desk and they said your phone bill to you know to Australia, 'cause you know, you're calling through the hotel phone <laughs> was like two thousand dollars wow. and I'm like oh. <laughs> So I was so worried I wouldn't have the money to prove to the LPGA that I had the $4,000. And I'm like, you know, this is, I'm not going to call my parents. So I went down to the airport and I cashed in my return ticket to get enough money to get it through the school and to show the LPGA had 4000 So I had totally made sure that I, if I didn't make it, I was never going to call my parents. I was going to be stuck.
4: These are the stories that you loved no. to hear. These are the stories that you don't hear or yeah. don't see on the on the screen. Do you? It's,
0: no, that's an amazing, <laughs> it's an amazing story. No, no. And two thousand dollars at that time, Jen, that was a lot of cash.
5: Oh my gosh, that's like twenty thousand now. You know, I mean, <laughs> you think about you know calling the hotel phone. You know, if, you know what that's like. It's like triple and quadruple what it should be. But I was just going. These people are a little different, and I don't know the. <laughs> I'm going to be able to stay here. Cause, you know, I was always with my, whenever I was on tour, one of my parents was always with me on Australia, in Australia. And I was like, oh, this is so different. And I'm homesick and the grass is different and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, but I qualified second, obviously, but uh, Pat Bradley was one and I was two. And then I made it to rookie of the year. So I, I had all the pressure was on me. Actually, we've talked about doing a movie because Margot Robbie wants to play me. And and oh, and finish in 1982. They want to finish the story in 1982, which is kind of strange. Halfway through everything, but it's more about making it from Australia because she's Australian and she wants an Australia producer. And so we're we're very close right now to negotiating it, finishing it.
0: We don't break many Hollywood scoops on Inside the Road. That would have Jen. to be the first, I reckon.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. I mean, I know Carrie and Carrie's talked about doing one, but this one is more about you know breaking the barrier mm. with the you know the female thing and coming from Australia and then um, and then being the you know the the image of the LPGA tour. I mean, it's pretty exciting in so many ways.
4: Yeah, I want to touch on that and backtrack a little bit because it staggers me when you're talking about that there were major events that weren't acknowledged as, as majors. Yeah, really staggers me. That that really wasn't that long ago. And I wanna get your take on where you see the game at now and how it's transformed, pros and cons to everything. Where do you where do you see the women's game currently globally?
5: Well, it's changed so much. I mean it is number one, like you said, it is global. I mean it's definitely an international game. I mean I got in a huge amount of trouble back in two thousand and eight when I said if I were the commission when they asked me what I would do if I was the commissioner of the LPGA and I said I would make it a fifty fifty tour because everywhere else in the world they control how many international players play or make it through school. And I was named as a, you know, they, they said I was a racist. When I wasn't, I was actually trying to help the American tour and American girls because you know, the people in the, the players in Asia and Europe and even us, we get a lot of support from our government and America doesn't. So of course I was, that was horrendous. I thought that was going to stop me from getting getting in the hall of fame, (laughs) but um, and it's, and it is wonderful. That it is global right now. I, I just feel like, and it's, it's changed a lot. I think the, the people know, the, the players know that they have to, you know, give to the public and the fans because there's so much competition. Fans and for TV and money. So I think they're getting it. We've got a great commissioner that understands that. But there was a lull where they were struggling. Mm-hmm. They're not anymore. And the, the thing I think has changed is, It is a little less personal because obviously the tour was a lot smaller when I joined and we all kind of stayed together and that's why now with our senior tour, we're all really close friends and, you know, I mean, uh, it's hard to believe I have so many wonderful cards and gifts from the players of my era that were fighting me back in the 70s when I was pushing this, you know, because of the commissioner pushing the sex appeal part, but, Nowadays, it's such a big business. It's on both tours, the PGA and the LPGA. It's such a big business that you almost don't have time. I mean, you come on with your own um, you know, your own team. You've got you know, your manager and your agent and your sports psych and your, and your coach. and So you're almost your own little team anyway. So it, you don't have as much interaction with the players as we used to back mm-hmm. then. It was almost like we would help each other. You know, back I mean, before you guys were even born. I mean, when we travelled from tournament to tournament, we would all have our own car, and we'd have what's called CBs. Uh, You know, it's like breaker one or breaker nine. We'd all because (laughs) if somebody broke down, we'd all be there. I mean, it was back in the days when you didn't have anything. You know, like for me to join the tour, I had to go down to the library in Sydney and read all the magazine golf magazines because we didn't get them. So the Sydney library was the only one that had them. And I had to write letters to get to the sponsors and to the hotels to get in. I mean,
2: it was totally a different lifestyle. Jan, you obviously had such a successful career on the course, winning three majors and a bunch of other events. But you've done a lot of things in the game of golf off the course. What's your proudest achievement away from actually playing the game? You've got your uh, your own foundation. You've done a lot of work with ISPS Honda, who's big down here. Uh, course design as well what's what's the thing you're most proud of off the course
5: well I think probably designing my own golf courses is always something I mean of course the ones that hired me I had you know I interned with Pete Dye so we had unlimited budgets and we still exceeded them <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, but with, you know I got my first golf course and they said oh, we didn't get our funding you've got 3 million to build a golf course and it's like oh! <laughs> you know that was a little different to, to Pete's where I got 10 million so, I mean, that was actually good because I had to do so much myself in shaping, you know, and working mm-hmm. the machines because we couldn't afford it. But I think I started the Jan for Juniors, which now Kari has taken over. You know, I brought two juniors back in when they were 16. The two top juniors come to travel with me on tour. And those two are, are Sarah Jane Smith and Sarah Kemp, who are now on the L P J tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was really something special. And... um and then as I left the tour, you know, it didn't get carried on. So so Carly's picked that up, which I love, because she's really done a great job with them. So that's something I'm proud that I started. But and there's no question that I think the reason I got, um, you know, my Order of Australia is because of the work I've been doing with the the disabled vets and first responders. I mean, I've really taken to that. Um, I got, I was an, I'm an ambassador, Ian Baker Finch and I are ambassadors to Blind golf, and I got trained on how to teach blind. I had forty blind golfers, uh, blind people, uh, about two weeks ago at my course, and I own a golf course which is pu- purely to help the vets learn how to play golf and and getting the golf business, not just play golf, but um, you know I teach them how to build golf clubs. I teach, you know, they're all my maintenance crew are all from war, from the Iraq or Afghanistan war, and mm. and some of them are rangers, and so. I really love that. I, I've, I'm, I'm surprised how much I enjoy it, but they're so appreciative, and it's very time-consuming. But I love it.
0: It's getting a little off Broadway here, Jen. But um, we had a we had a couple of brand new blind world golf champions from Australia in the last week or so. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a great thing, isn't it? To have um, it's wonderful. Yeah, that inclusivity, isn't it? And I know you, that you're really passionate about that.
5: Well, I am, and we played a pro am years ago in Perth. Uh, Dr. Honda, who's he has diabetes, and I think he's got problems with his eyesight. He's a, a very big sponsor of the Blind uh, Golfers Association, and so he had uh, quite a few of the pros come over and play with them, and. At the first day, they were complaining how long it took to play golf. So I made all of the pros play blindfolded on the par three, <laughs> and that shut them up quick smart.
3: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they took brilliant. forever,
5: that's and they brilliant. couldn't play. So when I was doing my exhibition the other day, when the media came out, I was I was doing I was hitting blindfolded, and they were like, "Wow, that's quite surprising."
0: So just, so just going back a little bit here. Now, we we'll, we have to. We necessarily have to ask you about the golf balls in the bathtub and things, but it's the wrong impression that people have of you if that's what they think who Jan Stevenson is. Because I, I understand from, you know, obviously researching for this, but li- just listening to your talk over the years, that you're a bit of a tomboy, which is sort of ironic, really, <laughs> given how you came to everyone's attention. But, you know, you don't mind getting your hands dirty and getting on the tractors, as you said, and shaping the courses. How, is, how do those two, two things sort of coexist
5: Well, you know, that's actually an excellent point because, you know, my dad was a big cricketer and he played, um, and he played rugby. So he played the Sydney Cricket Ground and so he was a huge, great athlete. My mom was a really good tennis player and dancer. So I grew up in that tomboy world. It was really quite, um, shocking to come to America and then be treated as you know and then like oh we want you for the image it's going to be a sex symbol and it's like what
3: you know because
5: um you know i love to fish i dive and you know and i um a big scuba diver and and i love all the sports and and uh so it was it is almost a contradiction because as much as i you know love to dress up i really much rather you know be be fishing and you know and being something and with the boys it's like it's kind of it's funny that that was the image that a lot of people think of me when it's really not
1: me. Mm.
0: But you have to live with that. I mean, let, let's ask you that question now. I mean, he, and I'm so I'm born in 1971. Oh. My, my first reference point for you was you lying naked in a in a bathtub full of golf balls.
5: Well, I wasn't technically naked. I made sure that I had little pasties <laughs> over my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> because sure. actually we were going through some old stuff the other day and they're like, why are these round things here? Can we throw those out? I'm like, no, absolutely not. That's to prove I wasn't
3: naked. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but that, that that's, but, um, the, that's the image no, that a lot know, of people have of Jan Stevenson. You know, from, from from my age group, that's that was my introduction to you.
5: Well, you're right. And even Kari Webb, you know, the first time we got in a huge – I don't know if you remember the controversy when Kari had said, well, I – would." she was shocked when she won her first year was open and she looked down and saw my name on there. And she went, Oh my God, I, I thought she was just a, you know, a, a, a you know, a calendar girl. And, uh, and of course I, you know, everyone got upset over it, but you know, since then she's obviously changed her, her attitude, but it was, it's kind of funny because that was the way people remember me. And I mean, it's still an iconic photo that, when people go, do you remember Jan Stevenson? They go, no, and they go the the bathtub with the golf club. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. You know, like, it's like it's kind of funny that that it it is it's, it's always tongue in cheek to me, really. In the in, now, but um, you know, my, my career has always been really important, and I did give up a lot. That's what was so frustrating for me is that I gave up a lot to help the tour back then. The commissioner. Um, Ray Volpe, you know, he had, he was the commissioner at the, at the Hockey League and when he came over he's like, we need an image, we need something new and and when he said oh, here's a girl from Australia, nobody knows and she just won a tournament perfect and so when he came to me and said, hey, you're going to be the image of the tour, we really want to promote how, you know, how, the different look and I, I, he said we need this to get tournaments, it's like, oh okay, I mean, it never, it was, if it helps the tour, obviously I'm going to do it and, and and I'm not saying I was You know, I was a victim by any means. I I got, I made a lot of money from it and it was fun. And, you know, one of the the cutest stories of all is, you know, I was very close friends with Ben Hogan and very few people knew that. But in, um, when they were trying to raise money for the, uh, that one of the oldest tournaments in Fort Worth that never had a corporate sponsor, it was always done by local rotaries and charities and everybody would put together to get the money. And they always asked somebody that lived in Texas, a pro, a tour pro to help. Well, I'd already gone through all the tour pros. it had gone through Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw, et cetera. So I was living in Fort Worth, and I was playing at the course um, where Ben Hogan practiced every day, and I I represented Ben Hogan, golf clubs. And um, when they said, hey, I wonder if Jan will do it. So Ben came to me and said, would you help raise money for a PGA event for the, for Fort Worth? And I for Colonial, I said, yeah. And he said, well, we'll give you an honorary membership of Colonial, and it'll be a big deal. And we have a big final dinner and it's like $2000 a plate and we we'll, and, and and everybody comes it's all great. Well, when they asked me to do that and I went around and and spent the, every time I had a weekend or days off I would go speak at the rotaries or help raise money for the tournament. And I remember when at the, at the dinner, you know, and of course I certainly did not not look up to the image. I mean, I shopped at Rodeo Drive, and I remember I had on a, a little white leather mini suit, like really short mini mini skirt, and a jacket, and I had a little camisole underneath. Well, we were in in Colonial, and it was probably a Thousand people sitting at this dinner. Well, it got hot, and it was before I was going to speak. So, while Ben Hogan got out, he said, I want to be there to present her with her membership, which is shocking that Ben Hogan would even come out, let alone do it, right? Because he didn't like to go out at night. <laughs> so, they're like, This is a huge honor. So, of course, it packed the place because Ben Hogan was going to speak. So, he got up to talk, and I'm sitting there, and it was so hot, I took my jacket off, and I had like a little camisole on. And, um, you know, and I had high heels and a little mini skirt. So then Hogan stands up there and goes. Now everybody thinks this is a really big deal that I came out, and I thought it was a big deal that I was going to come out and, and present Jan with her membership for doing the work. I turn around and look at Jan, and she's in her underwear. <laughs> like, throw the place down. It was so funny because you know Hogan was so funny. So it, obviously, I knew how to make it. You know, make an entrance.
0: <laughs> uh, I hope that makes the movie. That sounds priceless. <laughs> oh, Dear me. Uh, so, Jen, Jen, again, and I apologise for this because I know you probably get sick of asking this, answering this question. But again, it's sort of topical at the moment. But you did have a, yeah, you know, a time, know. A time, in, <laughs> a time in your life when you were um, associated with the now President Donald Trump? Is it something that you look back on fondly or you don't even think about it ever until idiots like me ask you, or what happens?
5: Well, obviously, it's brought up every single day uh, in one way or the other. Um, and, you know, when people go, why haven't you asked him for money for your charity and all this <laughs> stuff? And it's like, you know, it's, it's not appropriate at this time. I'm waiting for the time when I really need his help for something. <laughs> but, um, and you know, it's, I'm afraid... You know, I, I don't do a lot of interviews on it because I know they'll turn it around and make mm. it negative. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's kind of funny because they all talk about, you know, the the sexual harassment stuff that you hear all the time. And of all the people that didn't do that would have been Donald Trump. There you go. I mean, I've had ridiculous offers. You have no idea. And stuff now that they would consider. I look back now and go, oh, my God, I could have sued for major sexual harassment. <laughs> but, um, you know... But whenever I was with him, when we were in New York, of course, um, p- women, waitresses, everybody, because when he was in New York, he was a big deal, even back then, and they would be giving him, every time we'd get to pick up a check or go somewhere, they'd be, you know, giving him his, their her number, their numbers, and he was really classy about it. He would just say, no, I'm not interested. I mean, he was very open about wanting someone that, that had, their own career that wasn't just after him for his money or who he was yeah. and you know and i, I think that's the reason that, that he was so interested in me is number one he loves golf and number two he, you know he loves sport and 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 Ivana and I, I mean he made it very clear that there were two of us in his life that he wanted to make a decision with and and um there were some times when he he really really Test wanted to test me, and and I, I I chose golf every time. So, but you know, we've we've stayed pretty close friends until the last three or four years, I guess. Um, since and really more since he married. I mean, I knew when he, he I played golf with him when he was dating Melania, and he talked about that. But uh, up until after that, I really haven't had that much conversation with him. Just a few times, I've called in favors that I needed him to do for me. But. Um, he he was he's actually pretty funny. He's 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 very sarcastic. He's kinda reminds of me of Hogan and he's and he's funny, but uh oh, that they take they don't take right. But we had a great, <laughs> great time together, there's no question.
2: He's probably got a bit on his plate at the moment, Jen. I wouldn't take it too personally. Um I'm gonna put you on the spot here. No <laughs> with a, with one here. You're the seventh Australian into the World Golf Hall of Fame. We've got Peter Thompson, Kel Nagel, Kari Webb, Walter Travis, David Graham and Greg Norman. Who would you like to see as the eighth Australian into the World Golf Hall of Fame?
5: Wow. Oh, that's a good question.
2: Who do you think? should I be I noticed the that eight?
5: Graham Marsh was up, and there was another Australian. Wasn't there another one? Oh, didn't, didn't there was another one that was two that were up in the final twenty? I know.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, oh, he won the um, the PGA, Jim Ferrier. Yes,
5: and Gra- yes, and Jim. You know, it's 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 hard. I mean, I would love to see as many Australians as we can because, you know, it's a long way away. And if if you can make it in you know a, a, in a big world like this, that's really important. You know, um, I I would love to see another woman obviously break through.
0: Jen, just I mean, you 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 know, you're obviously, and no one would ever question your passion for Australia. That's just ridiculous to suggest otherwise. And a year of big. Um, honest view obviously we've touched on arguably the biggest one and you you mentioned that you you were made um you got an order of australia earlier this year i would imagine that that sort of you know got your blood racing a little bit too that that's a a massive achievement to um you know that everyone knows who you are still at, at the, in the place you call home
5: well, and that's the thing is I think I've, I carried the Australian flag for a long time before we ever, you know, because there was a stay, time there where we didn't come back to play in Australia to be, and we didn't have, obviously, the, the advantage of having all the television we do now where you can see you know, Australia is doing well in on the world stage. And so I was really passionate to be Australian. I mean, I came back in 2011 to actually retire back in Australia. I wanted to go into politics and that's why I did the Dance with the Stars because I wanted. to to let everyone else coming home. And and um, I really, really wanted to do that. Um, and it was at a time in my life where I still could. Now, you know, uh, and so it was really important to get that Australian medal. Um, and I think I got it more for my charity work. And yet, um, I, I, and I was actually with um, um, Ambassador Hockey a few weeks ago, Greg Norman and I, because they asked me to be on the board to help them. I actually have an events company, so I can help yeah. them... We have an event now called that's part of the American Australian Association called Mateship, and they asked me if I would help them with that. So I'm really honoured and to do that. So that was something that I'm really proud to be an Australian.
0: Uh, just, just listening to you talk here, I'm 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 blown away. I mean, I obviously we know a little bit about you, and and uh, you do a little bit more research. But you've just brought so many more things to the table. That, you know that I think hopefully people will, will appreciate. Who you are and who you've been, and and uh, all the things you brought to the table that weren't just golf. Um, we we're honoured, really, that you've found the time to chat for us to us for so long, and we're really appreciative. Thank you so much. Well, thank
5: you. I love the questions, and you know, I'm, i, I, mean, I it's pretty obvious. I love Australia, so mm-hmm.
0: that's great. No doubt about that. And we're all really proud. We all recognise you as a, you know, the Sydney girl who's who's gone over there and kicked butt. So. Thank you so much for your time, Jan Stevenson. We're really thrilled that uh, you made the World Golf Hall of Fame and, and delighted that you're the seventh Australian to do so. Well played.
4: Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends, and learn a sport that you can play for the
2: rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, I'm Cameron Smith. I'm not as home as often as I'd like, but I can keep up with all the Australian golf on Inside the Ropes.
0: Well, welcome back to Inside the Ropes and a very special treat for us today. We've been to all corners of the globe, Justin, <laughs> Joe. Today we, we embark on new territory. We have never ever had anyone from Peru on the line. And Harris Nindicott, congratulations, you're breaking our duck here. Lovely to have you on the line all the way from Lima. <laughs>
1: Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Mate, you've been on quite the adventure this year on the Latino America Tour, and it's starting to come together. But before we talk to you about your golf, tell us about life in South America and where you're based and how you're getting around.
1: Yeah, um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a massive challenge um, playing down here. and um, I, I, Look, I really do enjoy it. It's uh, South America, it's got some amazing places and some um, pretty cool culture with it too, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's, it's definitely something that um, you'll never forget playing down here.
0: So, are you based somewhere in the United States, or are you still got your Sydney base and are travelling, or how how are you tackling that?
1: Uh, at this stage, I'm based in Arizona, uh, so I'm up here uh, actually on Greyhall Golf Club, uh, which is great, and I practice out of TPC uh, Scottsdale. So um, Aaron Badley practices out there, and Matt Um yeah, they practice on the on the stadium side. So it's uh, yeah, a couple times I get to see those guys a little bit. Um, I get to I've spoken to Aaron um, quite a bit, and I practice with him a little bit too. So it's uh, it's always nice um, to be able to have that. Uh, have that little bit of connection there, and that um, like a few Aussies fighting around, so it makes um, makes by like, living there and um, and practicing it, it feel a little bit more like home.
2: Harry, do you feel like you said you're based in Arizona, and then you're skipping around South America? Do you feel like you've spent half a year cruising around South America? Do you feel like you've had a bit of a not a gap year, but like do you feel like you've seen the <laughs> seen some sights and like actually? I imagine if, if I went for six months around South America, it'd be pretty leisurely and I'd be <laughs> cruising around. Do you feel like, you you know, you've been to heaps of countries. A lot, There's a lot of, I think there's a misconception a lot of times, you guys are just going golf course, hotel, golf course, hotel, and you actually don't get to do much. Do you feel like you've yeah. got out and done a bit of stuff?
1: Yeah, look, some weeks are a little bit like that. Um, for example, like this week, uh, I really kind of wanted to go to Picchu, and, um, you know, it's, it's like, I think it's, like an hour and a half flight away. Um we're kind of, you know, nowhere near it and it's a little bit uh we're actually in a very good hotel. Uh, the golf course is great, but uh I would have liked being able to do that. But uh still the places have got some great, you know, great sites. Others uh it feels a little bit um <laughs> you could say uh just going to work with uh <laughs> under security uh <laughs> one or one week. That, want- uh I didn't really go to many restaurants
0: that week. <laughs> I think there's a massive misconception within our studio, to be honest, Harrow. I, I I think Justin's got it all wrong that he thinks it's a very romantic jaunt around South America.
1: <laughs> Could be. You just gotta hang around Ruffles. He speaks in Spanish, so I don't know if it's always been a bit a word, uh, if you're not speaking Spanish. So, uh, but look. It is great experience. I do love it. Uh, we've seen some pretty cool places. Um, you know, there really is some spectacular parks down here. Uh, Santiago last week was fantastic. Uh, and this week in Peru again is beautiful. So, um, yeah, like it's very exciting.
0: Before we press away from the the holidaying aspect, as Justin would have you believe, uh, <laughs> how is your Spanish coming along? Is, there, is there, Are you vaguely fluent? Have you got anything at all? Where are you up to?
1: Oh, uh, very, very little. Um, I'm just, it, it, it's, a, it's something you just got to get the hang of. Uh, you got to do your own little research. I've been trying to pick little things up here and there, um, but at this stage, no good. I always, a, um, <laughs> I always try to get a good Spanish to help me out
0: here and there. Uh, as you say, it must be very helpful to have Ryan Ruffles there as the fluent Spanish speaker among the Australian contingent he, uh but uh, he, he, while well, we're with talking about him, mate, I know it's not about him this week, but he he was back from injury last week and played with you in, in Chile. How did he go?
1: Yeah, look, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very unfortunate um, that he... I think he dislocated his shoulder. Uh, I think he did that in Ecuador, which um, is... It's always frustrating with any athlete, you know, injuries, because obviously you can't perform. And... Um, you know, I don't even know how he did it. Like, I've got no idea how he did it, but, um, I remember seeing him after his round, he said, I've got to go back to Miami. Um, I've got to go, I've got to go back and go to hospital. I was like, oh, I can't hold his shoulder, and it wasn't too good. So, um, I mean, look, last week it's been by. Um, I know he missed the cut, but I mean, I think it's time. Um, you know, I think I was talking to him today actually about it, and, um, you know, saying how he was saying how he um, he's made goals, get his fitness back, and and get into that routine of playing, and um, yeah, hopefully hopefully that comes around a lot quicker than a lot quicker, and he uh, gets start playing good golf again because obviously you know he's a good player, and it's always frustrating um, for any player when they're not playing. You know, it's um, it's our job, and uh, you know, you always wanna you always wanna tear it up.
4: Yeah, no no doubt, and. Uh, let's head back to you and, and your own personal goals uh, here over at the uh, L- Latin America PGA Tour. And obviously, you've got your sights probably set on that top five. You're in, inside the top 15, which no doubt gives you uh, a skip and a, and a jump over a few others in, in Q School land. But what are your sights? What are your milestones? And um, what does the next couple of months look like for you, Harrison?
1: Yeah, look, I'm in kind of a choosing situation at the moment. Um, I need a big week this week. Uh, I'm trying to get inside our top ten on the money list um, to skip the second stage and get the final stage web. Uh, it's going to be a hard task, but the game feels good enough. I've just got to execute um, and just, you know, just do my thing. and uh, Hopefully it's good enough it's good enough at the end of the week. Um, but look, at this stage, I am scheduled to play the summer in Australia. Uh, the New South Wales Open, the Australian Open, the Australian PGA. Uh, it just depends on how I play, uh, this week and how close I get to that top five. Um, my, my agent, and I will have in discussion earlier about it, and, um, you know, it's just after this week we'll make a few more decisions. But at this stage, look, uh, I am looking forward to coming back and, um, playing the summer golf in Australia. It's, um, you know, those three events are always very special to me because, uh, you know, it's your know, home country and, um, you know, it's my first year out of the pro, too. So it'd be uh, very special for me to play uh, the Australian Open this year and, um, and or hopefully not the PGA because I think that class is the final stage web. Um, but um, that summer, it's very special because of um, my first year of the pro.
2: Absolutely. We'd love to have you back down here. You, we should run just over your season, what you've done so far for people who aren't aware. You've played 10 events, you've finished top 25 in 7 of them, so you're currently 14th on the money list with 4 events, but you've reeled off in the last 4 starts, T5, T2, T4, T10, but in the middle of the year I ran into you in Fiji and you said that you were sort of a bit run down and you would had a long stint travelling and you, you're playing, you're sort of scoring alright, but you didn't feel like your game was quite there. You came home for a few weeks, is that right? What sort of things did you do to freshen up and just really get back on track for this last half of the year?
1: Yeah, I look at the at the first half of the season I battled with a few uh health issues. Um I just it was just a very new experience for me, you know, traveling and my immune system went down and um yeah, a couple of couple of health issues which actually I had to go to hospital for a couple of things which was a bit frustrating. Um and uh I had to get my first goal was to get get like get that back on track, get back playing. Um and then I had a um yeah and then I got and then I got that uh health issue again in my eye, um I think it was in Jamaica um, so I had to skip that again which was really frustrating and um so at that stage um I was kind of just wasn't really having a fluent schedule I just you know I was kind of back in practice back out of practice and uh, it was just it was just a real like you just kind of felt like you're behind the eight ball, you couldn't get any momentum. And um and then uh I played uh the fourth European open and missed the cut there which was frustrating and then played Fiji, Um and didn't play well there at all. Uh made the cut but just just didn't do anything and uh which was again another frustrating week and I I said to my coach Mark, um, I said, Look, I have to come home but... At least a week, neutralize everything, get everything still fresh, um, and that way I can go back and really focus hard on this, um, second half of the season. And, um, uh, that's what we did. And we just simplified our game, um, went back to square one and, um, got healthy and, um, changed a few diet, uh, a few diet, um, how do you say, diet, um, routines and, um, yeah, got, got prepped and ready to play again.
2: If you don't mind us asking, what was the the health issue? How, was it just an eye thing, and how serious was it? And are you fully over it now? Uh,
1: yeah, it's not a fully over. It's basically in my immune system. So uh, when my immune system goes down, I get this really bad eye infection that's uh, very painful and, and very yeah. It's, it can it can get very serious. I've got scarring um, on my eye sadly, Jeez. so I've got to be very cautious about how I um I treat my body and um how I treat um, my everyday life so it's one of those things that I've, I've got to live with and deal with I do the best thing I can to be able to compete every week um, try to eat healthy, try to do all the right things um, just because it's, it really is an awful painful thing that um, I have to deal with and it's not fun and I'd rather be playing golf than uh, be sitting in an eye specialist uh, room discussing what medication I've got to be on
0: Mate, everyone can hear you're, you know, a very nice speaker, and you're, you're a very engaging bloke to talk to and know. Um, no doubt you've been keeping tabs on, on, you know, some of your peers, some of your Eisenhower Cup winning peers, for that matter, um, Cam Davis and um, and also Curtis Luck. I'm assuming you've also been watching Lucas Herbert do his thing. Is it encouraging to you to know that these are the blokes you went through, who are starting to kick some goals, and that can't be too far away for you?
1: Oh, it's absolutely, unbelievably awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, like, we've all beaten each other. we are all played against each other. We've all, um, you know, putting comps. We've done all those things with every junior growing up. And now you've seen these guys at the, the top, uh, at the peak of professional golf. Like, you know, they're in the top one, you could say they're in the top 1% of professional golf now. And, um it really does feel like five minutes ago that we were all sitting in a room talking to, um, talking to pros that we look up to, asking for advice, and watching um, players like Adam Scott and Jason Day from inside the oh outside the road, sorry. Um and uh, doing all those type of things. And you know, like that experience that I had playing with Curtis and, uh, and Cam at the now and winning by like nineteen shots. I think we won that year, and seeing both of those. Um, getting their PGO Tour cards is just a massive confidence booster for me. Because uh, I was, wasn't long ago we were all together playing. It's just um, the right week at the right time, or and um, and then playing well at the right year as well.
0: And man, I I, I referenced your ability to speak well. Um... Um, for those with an outstanding memory, they'll remember that you were interviewed by a very uh, handsome-looking journalist during your final round at the Vic Open this year. Um, is it important to you oh to sort of keep your It was me, Joe. Okay,
2: is that all right? Joey actually just turned around and looked at me. She was
0: like, oh. Is it important to you to you know to keep your um your your profile up, mate? Because I'm sure it's a matter of time until you reach these heights as well. Would you like to be considered among? That group of players, in a in a public recognition sense.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, you know, we've got to be we've um, got to be as professional as we can all the time. And uh, look, I've I've learnt some of those things the hard way. And um, you know, and where you look at these guys, you know, you, your image is everything. You know, the way I guess the way you talk to people, the way you deal with people, um, the way you play, the way you, what you do off the golf course, um, it all adds up. And um, you know, as a young kid growing up, you definitely make certain mistakes and you, you, you learn um, new ways of uh, how to deal with things. But um, now that it's... I wouldn't say it's getting close, but you're on the path of getting to a top tier like that. Um, you know, everything kind of counts. And when you see all those guys there, um, it's very... Yeah, it's of you. You've got to look
0: good and you've got to try and be on the best behavior. It's part of it. <laughs> Mate, um at, at at the time I think you ended up was your runner up at uh, at thirteenth Beach, um and you've had these great results that Justin flicked through before. Do you think that there's a sort of a a floodgates moment sort of waiting to happen here for you? Where you know, you're on the podium a lot, basically. Do you think you just need that one thing to kick you into the next level?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um look, I don't know when it is, but I definitely feel there's something around the corner. Uh I just you know, I the the more times you knock on the door I think any player will be able to tell you something's gotta happen. Um, you know, I mean look, Simon um Simon Holk just he he played um fantastic at the big open. I mean, um that party made to beat me. I mean I think they just got outplayed in that playoff and um, you know, hats off to him for that and um, you know, I didn't count that as a defeat. I just counted that as an outplayed. And same week as in Brazil, I, I felt that I simply got outplayed. The guys just eight hundred under the beaten by one. Um, you know, so it's like you can't really control that. Um, I feel that if I can just keep getting myself in positions, uh, like that, you know, something will happen. Uh, I don't know when it'll happen, where it'll happen. There's, no one can answer that question, but, um, you know, I think I think the more times I just put myself in this situation where um, I, I give myself a chance to make a make a putt to win, I give myself a chance to hold a bunker shot or whatever it may be. Um, the law of averages, something has to happen.
4: You speak with such maturity there, Harrison, because the, I suppose the general fact is that there's only one winner each week yeah. out there. And uh, but with your mental capacity, there's no doubt where if you just keep banging on the door, that opportunity will will present itself. One last question. From me, uh, in your sort of your very fresh out there in the in the pro ranks and in between drinking pina coladas, if you're in Justin's world and and in admiration or in um, dreaming like uh, your counterparts in Luck or, or Herbert, what's the ultimate goal for for you? And what has been what has been the greatest lesson for you uh, this year?
1: Um, I definitely think. Look, ultimate goal is definitely the PGA Tour. I mean, I think every if every pro wants to get there. I like, there's not there's not one guy out here that I've played and they've said, you know, oh, I just want to make the Web.com and that's it. You know, they all <laughs> want to get to the PGA, be the top players. There's definitely many routes to get there, um, and I think that's all personal. I think that determines uh, where you want to play, where you enjoy playing, where you love living, um, and that's that into uh, the second answer to that question, I, I think that was the biggest learning experience for me is finding out where exactly I wanna play. You know, do I want to go through the European Tour pathway or do I want to go through the US pathway? And um, at this stage I'm loving the US pathway. It's very tough the competition is unbelievably hard. Um you gotta play well. And um, but at this stage, you know, I'm just uh, trying to do my thing and do what do the best job I can possibly do, and um, I think that's been the biggest learning experience is, is this year: is, is be me. Um, you know, there's there's no point, um, you know, trying to follow what your roommates or what what the guys you you're staying with that week do. If if they want to be practicing at three p.m. on a on a Tuesday afternoon, when um, they're in a pro am on Wednesday, and you're not. So you know you've got to you've got to practice the way you want to practice. You have got to do what you want to do. You got to eat where you want to eat. Um, and I think being down here in South America taught me that because um, you know there's there's a lot of restrictions to wherever you go. You know, like it's you, there's a lot of places where uh, you you've got to be very careful where you're eating where you go. So I think that's definitely been the huge eye opener for me. Um, Learning how to just learning how to be me and um, learn how to and, and learn how to trust that too.
0: all right, you've mentioned it once or twice here, and I'm just before we let you go the guards. You've mentioned guards, you know, shading you around South America. Have you had a dodgy experience that you can tell us that's not going to jeopardize your passport?
1: <laughs> um, yes. Uh, we were. Um, really? We? we? were in. Oh, actually, it's going back to Tijuana. Another great week. Um, <laughs> we were uh, in a taxi going to the border of San Diego. And um, so, the border of San Diego, you, you basically just walk over. It's awesome. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, you literally go from, um, like, downtown Mexico, like, in the you're sitting in the middle of absolute nowhere to, like, in an there, it's unbelievable <laughs> um, uh, I remember we got on the taxi a couple of another guy and I and uh, another guy was going to come and he said no he was going to go somewhere else but anyway we drove down and the taxi driver just went down all these really dodgy roads and it was kind of like nowhere really near the border it was just kind of drifting off and going to a different a different a His different way house. and he <laughs> Over and then all of a sudden he changed changed his price on the taxi, you know, and um, we were a little bit we were a little bit like oh no, like <laughs> we can't get out. We've got all our luggage, you know. We're not, you know, we don't know where we are. So we had to end up pay extra to this guy, and then he turned up and then he dropped so he dropped us at the at the, um, the border, and then all of a sudden he demanded a tip, and he you know it was just a bit it was a bit frightening. It was just a bit you just didn't know what was going to happen and. Um, and I, I, uh, it's something that if, um, definitely lucky enough to get to the PGA Tour and, and get to drive around in a drive and don't forget that, because that was something that we're a little bit on edge.
0: Well, I hope that puts paid to Justin Falconer's vision of a Kentucky Tour around <laughs> South America, or Central America, as the case may be there. Harrow, uh... Gracias for for joining us, and I'm I'm trusting that we'll be able to brush up on our Spanish when we see you at the Summer of Australian Golf tournaments in a few weeks. Great to talk to you all the way from Lima, and we wish you the best of luck towards the end of the Latino America Tour season. Yeah, thanks very much for
1: having you guys, and uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully looking forward to catching up to you guys um, back in Australia, just being on our schedule. So, but uh, so yeah, really looking forward
0: to it. How awesome to have Harrison Endicott there and to hear him um, so passionate about. Uh, coming home to play golf, obviously, you know, things might change if he looks like he's getting in the top five and skipping a few things and getting to the to the web.com tour uh, more directly. But, um, you know, fantastic to speak to a young fella in Peru and especially on top of um, Jan Stevenson, we've been pretty, pretty uh, honoured today to have two great, such great talkers. They've been awesome, haven't they?
4: Yeah, Harrison. I think um, we'd love to see him back here, wouldn't we? Of course, but he could be probably excused, given that at 22 years of age, we understand that he's got to put a bit of groundwork underneath him um, to really establish himself. He's not at the ilk of Leishman, I suppose, yet who can um, with 24 million odd in in, in the bank. Um, but yeah, no, we'd love to just see him do well. And um, yeah, he's a great young chap.
2: Harris he's a gun. He's probably a little bit off Broadway for a lot of people. I mean, hmm. uh, compared to the Cam David, Curtis Lux on the web. Uh, over in Latino America, but he, yeah, as you said, he was on the Eisenhower team a couple of years ago with those two guys, and he, he's, he's got real game. He's a genuine star. So,
0: and we did just because the way the show is running, we didn't get a chance much to reflect on Jan Stevenson, but
2: holy cow, what a life that is! A full, a full life, that's for sure, and
0: continues to be like she's obviously flat out. So, yeah. just awesome. We're really grateful for both um, Jan and Harrison's time. Uh, is Plenty happening domestically too, and, and for that matter around Asia. Um, Aaron Pike, um, I guess a fantastic way for him to break through and have his maiden professional victory at the Victorian PGA.
4: Yeah, back down in my backyard down on the Mornington Peninsula. I'll show my bias, but I love it down there. And if you haven't been down to the RACV Cape Shank facility, get down there. No, honestly, seriously, you can laugh your way around, but there's You've something cash, for women, cash register, yeah, men, kids... There's sorry, Aaron, to um, fl- flood your your win here. Uh, terrific, win, and... terrific, <laughs> terrific win, by the way. Terrific win, by the way. Came down really. Obviously, I will give him a little bit of um, credit. Came home really strong in trying conditions. Apparently, throughout throughout the week. Um, I thought it
0: was Nirvana down there.
4: <laughs> no, very blowy from what I hear. Oh. Which which you can down, down there.
2: Doesn't sound you know. that nice at all, Hazy. No, <laughs> oh. it's a bit rugged.
4: No, it is honestly anything. There's kids' activities. Um, you know, there's a spa, there's a gym, there's a swimming pool, you name it there. Is it seventy
0: two um, metre greens because the wind's so strong? <laughs> yeah, <you>? that's right. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, it's you in all serious, on that one. <laughs> in all seriousness, Aaron Pike, um, you know, family heavily involved in golf, is sponsoring the tournaments in Northern Territory and like fantastic result there and, and and great to see another name come up and uh join the winners list on the on the ISPS Handa PGA tour of Australasia. You didn't get down there last week, Azy? Uh no. No, I didn't quite make it down to Cape Shank. I know you're trying to lead me into something here, and I'm just not going to bite. All right. Uh, we can move on. It was a pro-am, and I'm, I'm <laughs> clearly not a pro, and I don't think my am status was that flash at the moment either for that matter, but anyway. Uh, now I'm going to try and shut you up over there, Alarm Clock Boy. With um, You've, you've done a fair bit of uh, looking into what's been happening in our northern neighbourhood.
2: Uh, northern, how far north? We'll start with Japan. Yeah, let's go to Japan. Yeah, we had uh, the Japan Open on the weekend. We had, a, had quite, a, quite an interesting selection of guys teeing it up. We had Adam Scott, uh was up there in Japan. He's played there the last few years, I think. He finished T50. Brad Jones was the big winner, uh, the big former T10 for him. Matt Griffin, who's had a great year over in Japan. He was T16. And then uh, Brad Kennedy, another Japan tour regular, was T38, along with Anthony Quayle, who went over and... Put up a great photo with Adam Scott. I think they played a practice round together in the early rounds and it looked like they were having a great time. And Dave Michaluzzi as well, our uh, second top amateur. He flew straight from Singapore to Japan. He actually had teed up a practice round with the uh, the Japanese boy Takumi Kanai who won the next day uh, over in Japan back home. But no doubt a great experience for him. There's seven events left in the year. We've got Brad Kennedy's 11th on the money list, Brendan Jones, is 18th, Griffin 24th, Won Jun Lee 32nd, Anthony Quayle, he's had a great year. He played really well at the Vic Open and then Fiji as well. He's up 40th and Dave Branson 52nd on the money list. So amazing. Coming to the pointy end there in Japan, which is, it's it's a pretty, it's a great tour for a lot of guys, a lot of Australian guys. Talk about off Broadway a little bit, but yeah, a lot of guys go over there and just do really, really well. That's an amazing
0: thing. I, I might have missed counted there, but that's sort of six in the top 50. That's, mm. you know, eight 11, 12% mm. of the top 50 are Australians. That's unbelievable. That's, you know, people think of Europe or the US. This is just another area of the world we're shining in.
2: Another, and just to go back, we talked about the President's Cup earlier. Your man, Yuki Inamori, he mm. was the winner on the weekend and... He's second on the Order of Merit, and as you said, he's above Lucas in the President's yep. Cup calculations at the moment, so yep. that's a name that people might want to get familiar with over the next 12 months or so. And uh, I, my
0: understanding of the Japan Open was it was almost as bad a weather as Cape Shank in terms of weather. <laughs> so, so perfect. Well, yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> stunning. Um, so it was hard work, which I think will endear him to Ernie Owls even a little bit more. So yeah, absolutely. Well, well played to him. Mm. So move across, mate. Move across the. Where are we? Probably the. Is it the South
2: China Sea or something? Need to get the big globe out. Yeah, the, <laughs> need to get one in the studio. Uh, the China tour was wrapped up for this year. Uh, PJ Tour China, and it's been quite an unbelievable performance from young man Nick Voke. He's 23 years old. He's not a. He's a Kiwi, but I <laughs> we'll think we can him. we can still revel in his success. I feel he's he was <laughs> um, he started the year. He turned pro this time last year, just after the Asian Amateur. And then start of the year on the PGA Tour of Australia the the PGA Tour of Australasia. He had top tens in both the events back home, and then as a lot of guys tend to do, he's ducked over to the PGA Tour of China for the back half of the year, and he's gone absolutely nuts. So his first event, this is five weeks ago or so, he finished fourth. Then he won three of his next four starts on the PGA Tour of China, so he's finished third on the order of merit. In, so in the top five, which gains him web.com tour status. So he's rocked up and gone T4 win, and then he went over to Korea to play in the Korean Tour, and he finished third there. He won, back to China, T16, and then he had another win. So he's gone That's absolute, amazing. He's gone He's gone crazy. He's racked up, I think it's $200,000 in the last month in actual money, and now he's got a web.com tour card for next year when 23-year-old, when at the start of the year he sort of... Was obviously looking for a place to play and spent himself, and he's he's done that.
0: Coco bananas. Andy would normally describe that as he's gone. Coco bananas. He's gone
2: full Coco bananas. I was looking so, at the, I was looking at the order of merit in the top 17, every single on the PGA Tour China this year, every single player played between 12 and 14 events. Nick's played five events and he's finished third. That's amazing. So that's, Just
0: before you tell us about the Australians on that tour, um, Nick Volk for because we will hear this name, and he and he's a. Brilliant, brilliant speaker. I had the chance to meet him at Royal Wellington last year's Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship. And he was the face of the tournament because obviously played in his homeland. Um, He addressed the crowd in Maori, addressed the crowd in English. Um, He went to Iowa State University where after his time as a senior, they actually asked him, to write the book of what it meant to be an Iowa State, whatever that is, Hawkeye or whatever it is. I've got no idea. <laughs> Apologize, Nick and all the other Iowa Staters. Probably not a Hawkeye. <laughs> well, like, I'll find that out while we're talking. But it, it, he basically went um, through and said, right, if you come to this school, this is what it means for you to play golf for this um, for this organization. And he's written the, um, the handbook on what that means. And I know that sort of sounds a bit weird, but can you imagine – a foreigner being charged with that sort of task—that's an amazing mm-hmm. thing to have bestowed upon you. I reckon. I mean, it's a little bit off Broadway, obviously. We're we're all about that today, Joe.
2: <laughs> we're going very off Broadway today. Margot <laughs> Robbie
0: just texted me before she wants to play you in the uh, the movie about Inside the Ropes, Joe. So. Talking to me or Joey? Well, with your hair, I'm not so sure. But let's let's keep going, mate. What happened? I'm getting way too loose here.
2: Just to just to just to back over China. It's. I think we needed. There's a. Chance of coining a phrase here, either it's called doing a Brydon McPherson or a Peter Cook, because both players did it on the China. Bryden, who's, speaking of friends at the show, he's, mm. he's up there. He's a regular. In 2015, he did ex- extremely similar to what Nick Voke did. He lost his status in the web and went T13 win, T3 win, second, T5, T3. So, And he won the order of merit from about eight events as well. So we've got form here, Australians and Kiwis, <laughs> going over to China and just tearing it up. And then heading back over to the web. Uh, where to next? What have we got? How do the
0: Australians go there? Just I know that you're you know applying for your New Zealand citizenship, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, our best our best finish in the order of merit. The season obviously wrapped right, up was um, Max Mcardle. He finished sixteenth. He'll be heading up to Queensland. All these guys will be coming back now for the Australian summer. You'd think uh, he finished sixteenth. James Marquezani. He's had a good year. Uh, he was thirty sixth and Brian McPherson, our man, only eight events. He was 44th on the Order of Merit. So,
0: And if you still got... Sorry, this is very self-indulgent, but... It's not about me, but go on. Did you... Um, is is Dean Lawson in that list of how they went on the tournament? I know he was shining early on.
2: Oh, yep, you're right. I've missed Dean. He finished 30th on the Order of Merit. Only seven, seven events. And I believe he's teeing up this week on the Challenge Tour. There's a couple of events left uh, in Europe on the Secondary Tour. Dean's one of them. Uh, we had... Uh, on the weekend now to jump over there. They're in China. It was the and Open last week. Uh, ben Eccles, young Victorian, he finished outright sixth. And Troy Moses um, from New South mm. Wales, he finished T8. And he had a back nine on Sunday that he'd probably rather forget. He dropped a few shots and sort of slid down the standings a bit. But a great, a great result for Troy Moses. Um, made cuts this week for Cade McBride, Jimmy Pavadados, who's had a great year on the Challenge Tour, Jack Wilson, our man Brydon, and Dale Brant-Richards. Um <laughs> There's two events left. So it's the Foshan Open. Foshan, Joey?
4: Oh, don't ask me. in. Jukatagan out. That's the third time now in still one episode. I'm not sure you've done it right, but,
2: <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> <of> them, but...
0: <laughs> the jury's
2: out. I'm sorry to tell you. So the challenge tour, we've got, it's the we're back in, they're still in China this week. And then the challenge tour grand final in Oman, which is. Coming up, I like how they call it the grand final as well. It's not a very golf thing, the grand final. That's very good. Um, We've got the top 45 make that last field and the top 15 following that event get a European tour card so they graduate. So, Dimi's 15th currently, so he's right on the bubble there. Ben Eccles is 80th and Nick Cullen's 91st. So, those guys have a bit of work to do, but you'd think Dimi should be in and hopefully in the next two weeks he can really fire and get himself a tour card.
0: Well, we digest all that information, Joe, There's some new data from the RNA and USGA has come out overnight. Um, I normally am the one ranting about rules, but I'm going to let you do it. I'm not preempting anything here, listeners, but um, the rule on green reading material was formalised overnight by the USGA and RNA. How are we going to tackle this? Do you want me to read a little bit of it? It has
4: reached our shores from Scotland.
0: I hope it was on a small I'm happy bit of for you paper. to
4: read it, and I, we can we can add our comments throughout if you if you wish.
0: Cause... Okay. Well, there's there's five or six different aspects to it, but at the result of a six week um, investigation, I suppose. Let's just go with that um, <laughs> <laughs> consultation progress uh, process. I think this is the technical term, and this is what it's come up with. Golfers may continue to use a putting green map or other putting green information, except that here we go, Joe. Focus. Any image of a putting green must be limited to a scale of three-eighths of an inch to five yards or a ratio of one to 480 or smaller.
4: Have you got that, Falconer?
0: Sorry, I just had a
2: micro-sleep listening to that.
0: (laughs) Any book or other paper containing a map or image of a putting green must not be larger than four and one-quarter inches by seven inches. (laughs) Although a whole location sheet, just hold your your fire here, that displays nine or more holes on a single sheet of paper May be larger, provided that any image of a single putting green meets the scale limit. You can't use a magnifying glass, Joe. You can only use your regular glasses. No telescopes or anything like that. Hand-drawn or written information about a putting green is only allowed if contained in a book or paper. This is the important bit: meeting the size limit and written by the player and or his or her caddy. Go talk to me.
4: I'm still digesting. Honestly, I actually am still take digesting. A the, the positive from the rules front, as of Jan 1, we've made some really great progress from a common sense level. This one, to me, uh, it's my personal <laughs> doesn't, view. It's might jeopardise my job at Golf Australia. But this one, to me, just, just pulls apart. We, we're, we're stretching ourselves back to the dark ages. This is gobbledygook, technical, scientific. And at the end of the day, the nuts and bolts of the game are to get the ball in the hole in as few shots as you can, play the ball as it lies. And I think if we get back to those basics, I'd love to hear Clayt's comments on this. Oh. <laughs> because at the end of the day, we just make this game too complicated. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. It's a, it's a, just get the ball in the hole.
2: Thought? Why are we still doing it in inches?
3: So it's,
0: well, positive. there might be. An, uh, maybe I read the USGA one instead of the RNA one. But either way, to me, that that is pure gibberish. What's the purpose of that whole... Uh, the, the, the purpose of that is to put some rules around yeah but they haven't gone as far read. as saying you can't, can't yeah use green reading cheat sheets right but instead they're focused on size of papers you know if you got an a3 or an a5 or whatever the hell it is you're doing I'm sorry that's that goes that flies as Joe says that flies directly in the face of the simplicity that's invo- involved in the July, January 1 rules that we're going to have mm. that I I'm sorry, and I'm going to get wrapped straight over the knuckles, that's a, that's an embarrassment for golf.
4: Yeah, well, all three of us will. And I'm just thinking from a tour player's perspective. Right. Speak, sorry. Speak,
2: speak for yourself. You, <laughs> you're, you're, you're
4: part of our team. You're part oh of our family. God. But from a tour player's perspective, and I don't want to um, this make it come across uh, rude, They half of them probably won't understand that.
0: No. I'd, like, I can't even it four understand times. that with
4: they having worked in the industry for so many years and... Mm. The players at the end of the day, their objective is to get the ball in the hole. They don't need to work out all these and work within these little parameters. It's just um, it's
0: gobbledygook. That's either ban it or leave it. Don't get technical. That's just another scope of rules that's beyond the pale. Let's move away because we could talk about that forever and it's as dry as a trip across the Sahara. Mate, <laughs> let's, uh, Justin, let's talk about um, your mate Bernhard Langer. My mate. Yeah, your man. He's had another big win. I believe um, it's 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 come laced with a lot
2: of numbers. The great, he's probably he's got to be the goat of golf statistics. Justin Ray from Golf Channel. He he went on a rampage last night after Bernhard Langer won again on the Champions Tour, and putting forth the argument that he's the most dominant athlete in his respective professional league since he got there in two thousand and seven, and he puts forward a pretty good case. Here are some of the better numbers. Bernhard Langer, so over the last five seasons, there's been five players to win on the Champions Tour by five or more shots, all by Bernhard Langer. One was by 13, which I'm not sure when that was, but that's scary. He's won 38 times on the Champions Tour since 2007. That's 25 more than any other player in that span. And if you add up players two, three, and four, you still don't get to how many Bernhard Langer's won. Wow. He's 60 rounds of 67 or lower in the PGA Tour Champions Majors no other player has more than 30. Bernard Langer is a, <laughs> to quote Justin Rowe, Bernard Langer is a hilarious 345 under par in majors since 2007, 198 shots better than anyone else in that span. 345 under par. In just in the majors since 2007. So what's that 11 years, four or five majors or two? Four I think. Anyway, so 40 50 majors. He's he's more than double next yeah. bloke. And his, Justin Ray says, this one is probably my favorite. Lang has led or co-led after 43 rounds in majors since 2007. Second on that list is 12.
0: That's extraordinary.
2: <laughs> staggering. So I think he's out there and he just wins and he probably doesn't get the credit because, again, <laughs> yeah. off-Broadway, Champions <laughs> yeah. Tour. yeah. And he probably makes it a bit like that because he just wins so often. But what he does is extraordinary. And then a couple of years ago at the Masters, he was... I think in the final round he was winning the last two pairings. I think that would have been twenty sixteen when Danny Willett won. Mm. His his form stacks up. He turned around and almost won the Masters. Mm. Um extraordinary that he's won again and just like his putter out just to come out a couple of inches it, off the chest. It That's is, all I'm saying. It is a bit hard to watch. I will I do agree with you there. But, you know, just take take his word for it,
0: Oh, we're coming to the end of episode number sixty-five. We've got a bit of housekeeping to attend to, and then we'll let all your ears stop bleeding. Um, Justin, I'm I'm leaning on you a little bit here because uh, this is not something that I normally do, but uh, I'm going
2: to let you um, rule the roost. Best month of the year from a golf perspective, Hazy. It's Golf Month, uh, and well, there's been a power of work being done behind the scenes here at Golf Australia. It's the third week of Golf Month, but it's not too late to get involved. That's a fair segue. There are hundreds of activities happening at golf clubs and facilities all over. Go to golf.org.au. It's all on there. It's the perfect opportunity to share the game with the people you love. Get your club involved. Go on
0: golfmonth.com.au,
2: golf.org.au as well, and uh, there's heaps going on. Get involved. Golf Brilliant. Month. Share best, the bug. Best month of the year, Hazy. Is there's no really? doubt about that. I know it's your favorite. I, I, I can't get enough
0: of it. I start counting down probably from mid-November. It's more golf year for you, but it really peaks in October. Yeah, no, it's it's the zenith right now, that's for sure. Uh, well, that's about it, I think. That'll do Troops, uh, episode number 65 in the can. I'm sorry that we couldn't bring you Andy Marr and have a touch of professionalism at the helm, but as the case may be, it might be the way for a few weeks. And just another uh, housekeeping thing, there is a sneaky chance that we go late next week. So if the podcast next week, 66, doesn't drop in your... Um, In your podcast receptacle, (laughs) receptacle. In your
2: podcast receptacle, I
0: apologise in advance. It's probably just just
2: because Hazy slept in and forgot to come to the recording. Yeah, there could be an element of that or not.
0: Uh, But anyway, thank you very much, Joe Charlton. You've been a delight (laughs) as always.
4: Loved being here. Thanks, boys.
0: Not so much of a delight, but thank you very much, Justin Falcon. I'll take that, (laughs) and uh, we'll talk to you again next week in Inside the Ropes.